We're engaged in a series on the character study of Joseph. And last week, we kind of laid the background that Joseph received the birthright after Reuben forfeited it by some really bad choices he made. And of course, this creates family tensions. And it didn't help that dad had favorites. So this is where we pick our story up. We're going to begin in Genesis 37 at verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here am I. So he said to him, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him to the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They've gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Nice guy, isn't he? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. I guess he had an entrepreneurial spirit. I don't know. And let us let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then many night traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Now you notice by the title, we're going to be talking about injustice. Let me tell you where we are not going. We're not going down the path or down the road perceived or real, listing all the injustices in our present world. I'm not that smart. But I am smart enough to realize that in our world of microaggressions, have you heard that word? In fact, this past week, I found out that microaggressions are broken down in three forms. There are micro-insults, micro-assaults, and micro-invalidation. Don't ask me what they mean. Just read the words. But I do know this. That if I would try to go down the road of injustice, I would miss one or two and offend someone and do that whole microaggression. So I'm not going to go there, okay? (laughs) Instead, what I want to do and what we really want to do through this study is take a look at our reactions. 
take a look at our responses to what's happening around us. And what I will say is that we live in a fallen world. And there will always be injustice, real and perceived. But the question we have to look at, and the question we have to ask ourselves as followers of Jesus, is what does it mean to have a faithful presence in our culture? What does it mean to respond and to live with the injustices of our day? Now, as followers of Jesus, we're called to respond. That's why we're called the body of Christ. When you think about that terminology being the body of Christ, it means that we are the visible presence of Christ in our culture. And the Bible adds some things like this. He says, you know, you guys, and he uses one word saying we're aliens. It's not that we're little green creatures coming down out of some spaceship, but he says that we really are made for another world. We're sojourners. We're strangers. We're called citizens of the kingdom of God, which really means that we operate according to a different set of core values. We are, by Peter's terminology, called a people of hope. And think about that. Think about how people get caught up in the negativity of our day. Do we have a vision of Christ and do we lead people to hope or do we kind of do a religious mimic of that negativity? Saying all that, we have to realize that our response to injustice as kingdom of God citizens will be very different than what our world, than what we see in our world. And again, we have to realize this. Our mission as followers of Jesus is not to change our culture. That may be a byproduct, but that's not our goal. Our mission is to help people find Christ and walk with them in the transformation of that relationship. And we're called to do that in community. That's why Jesus in John 17 prays for our unity. It's so incredible. It's so different in terms of community that the world sits up and he uses this word saying, listen, Father, I want them to have the unity that we have. So that the world may see me. Now what that means is that we get along with people that we should not get along with. (laughs) Think about our world and how we get tribal. In the body of Christ, we have this incredible inclusivity. That we welcome, we embrace, we don't necessarily approve or agree but we walk with people where they are at. And we are called to a faithful presence in our world. And when you think about integrity and injustice, it really deals with our perspectives. I want to put this diagram up. And this is a lens that we look at our world through. And again, you can add layers. I just added six. But look at this. For most people, there's this little circle in the middle that says, my little world. This is life according to me. This is how I see it. This is how I want to see it. This is how I choose to see it. And no one's going to disturb that. And the second ring says, well, you know what? I'm going to allow a limited amount of people in. People who think like me, who act like me, who agree with me. And when you realize and you hear people talk, in America, this is where most people live. But it's a very small, small, small world. Then there's some people say, you know what, I'm going to risk and I'm going to have a wider community. I'm going to allow some 
diversity. So I'm going to allow one or two friends who actually are different than me. Then there's our culture. People are saying, you know what? Yeah, we live in Lancaster County, and we have what's called Pennsylvania Dutch culture. But there are other places in America, and they think differently, they act differently, and you can tell them by their accents. Amen? In fact, in America, because we are a melting pot, we have a multiplicity of cultures from around the world. All you need to do is go to New York City or Philadelphia or Los Angeles or Chicago, and there's almost every kind of ethnic group of people there. Then there's some people who say, you know what? There's more to life than just Americanism. There's other cultures, and so they expand their thinking and seeing into other people groups, and they give validity to those people groups, saying, you know, they're going to worship different than we are, and they're going to live differently than we are. And then, of course, the outer circle is transcendence. Now, that's a fancy theological term that talks about seeing in terms of God's worldview. Transcendence means that there's life beyond this life. Transcendence means that this world is not all there is. And so we see the perspective from our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. It's a kingdom of God perspective. And Paul writes it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, you know, he goes right now, he says, I I see through a glass dimly. It's kind of like a smoke mirror. I see images. But later when I'm face to face with Jesus, it's going to be like, wow, was I ever wrong? (laughs) I think that's going to be one of my reactions. So for followers of Jesus, we have to live in that outer circle, just not my little world. We have to realize that there's an incredible multiplicity of different ethnics and cultures in our world. And we seek to look at life and injustice and integrity in light of all those things. And that's why Paul says things like this, let This mind or this attitude be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. So all of life, all of doing, all of living, all our emotions, Christ is at center. And of course, there's two key aspects of us following Jesus. One is humility. We bow our knees at the foot of the cross. We see ourselves in light of how God sees us. And that means we see our sin, but we also see our redemption. But secondly, we work towards the well-being of others. That's why Jesus says some crazy stuff like, you're going to love your enemies, you're going to pray for people who seek to take you out. And Jesus says, seek first this kingdom, this kingdom of God and his righteousness. And integrate that into your living. Now, when you think about integrity, a definition that we often talk about is that it's the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. But we often miss the second part of that. The word integrity comes from the word integral or integrated. And it's the state of being whole or undivided. Which means we take what we learn through God's word, and yes, we worship that way, but we live it in our homes, we live it in our jobs, we live it when we're riding bike down the road, we live it when we're driving car down the road, we, we drive as kingdom citizens, 
None as American ones. Does anybody know the difference? I don't know about you, but I've just noticed lately two things are happening. People are getting more and more impatient. And people are doing a lot of texting when they're driving. I know it's illegal, and they know it's illegal, but they somehow think that it's an exception to them. So for us, integrity means living a humble life beyond self-interest, that sacrificial nature, and that encompasses every aspect of who we are, what we think, what we say, how we live, how we spend money, how we save money, how we talk about people, how we don't talk about people. Involves the kind of TV you watch, the jokes we tell. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this whole integrity, we're going to integrate Christ who loved us. He's our example. And we're going to be a fragrant sacrificial offering. And we're going to walk in love with anybody and everybody that comes across our path. Two verses that interest me in Colossians. One's in verse 17 and one's in verse 23. The first one says this, and Paul repeats himself in verse 23. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then later on, he repeats himself, saying, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now he begins and he ends, and did you ever ask yourself what he puts in the middle? Listen to what he puts in the middle of this, saying, listen, live an integrated life with Christ. Here's how he starts. In verse 18 of Colossians 3, Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. Now I sense a bunch of amens wanting to come out by the men right now. Come on, you can hear it. No, they are not going to say it. Verse 19 says this then. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And the lady, it's your turn. Okay. See, men, they weren't afraid. And you know what's interesting? I hear this all the time. Some ladies say, well, you know, if my husband would love me the way he should, then it'd be easy to submit. But that's not what the verse says. It just says, you know, ladies, be responsible, submit. Men, be responsible in love. Doesn't, if your wife's not submitting, it doesn't mean you can't love them anymore or shouldn't. And then... He says, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. And both parents want to say. Then he adds, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You know, one of the largest ways that fathers provoke their kids in our culture, do you know what it is? It's absenteeism. They just don't show up. They're just not there. And what Paul's saying is this. He's talking about an integrated life here, a life of integrity. It begins where? In the home. And the truth is that if we can't live an integrated life in our homes, and let me say this as well, if we can't live an integrated life in our churches, why should we ever expect that we're going to live it out there when things really get tough? And then he moves on to integrity at work. 
Verse 22, bondservants, nice way of saying slaves. And of course, we immediately hop on the bandwagon and say, wait a minute, nobody should own anybody else. And we get all caught up in the injustice and we want to fight the injustice, but that's not what he says. He goes, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, for us, we can say employees and employers. And if you're an employee, Paul says, listen, just don't work hard when somebody's watching. Just don't do what the boss wants you to do to kind of get on his good side. Just do it for the Lord. Do it because it's the right thing. And so when you think about an integrated life, how you work, how you talk about the boss, how you... Let's talk about integrity at work. I was doing some research this past week. You know what the largest theft going on in business today is? It's called Facebook and texting and tweeting and games and social media. Last year, there was an estimated $900 billion in economic loss due to employees doing whatever they do on the Internet. There's a 13% loss in productivity. And all they factor out is that they said the average person loses about 20 minutes every day doing their little things on their computers. They didn't even equate what they do on the cell phones. So it's actually really low estimates. But we don't look at that as stealing, do we? Oh, it's just going to take me two minutes. But if you get 20 texts times two minutes, all of a sudden you lost 40. But they say the distraction of that, because you're involved in something, you get distracted, you get re-involved and re-engaged, it's tough. So, What does integrity look like in Joseph's situation? Group of brothers, they're going to kill him. Instead, they sell him. He goes off. Let's pick the story up in Genesis 39. I mean, Joseph could have carried a chip on his shoulder. He could have been angry. He could have been negative. He could have been a difficult person. But let's pick the story up and find out what happens. Genesis chapter 39, beginning of verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites. Again, I think in America we all get upset over this whole idea of buying and owning other people. It's not right. But Joseph finds himself in this situation. What does he do? The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was, in, was on all that he had in house and field. 
Now, did you pick up the repetition so far? We had phrases like, the Lord was with, the Lord gave, the blessing of the Lord. But we sit there and say, but he was a slave. How humiliating. He was sold by his own family. Let's go back to that how we view life. Transcendent principle. Okay? If you live in the outer ring, here's the principle. Transformation begins with me. I want you to say that with me. Transformation begins with me. It's not your circumstance. It's not your family history. It's defined by your Lord. It's defined by who you submit to. The Lord is with. He gives, he blesses in the midst of some pretty harsh injustices. Now, culturally, this does not sit well with us. We like to blame. We like to accuse. We like to play victim. We like to say everybody else lacks integrity. And that's why our culture today is not whole and it's fragmented. It is not integrated. That's why we have some states that want to succeed from the union because they disagree with me and I don't want to be with them anymore. In America, we have a very difficult time facing our own hypocrisies. As a result, we're constantly offended and our souls are hollow. Let's continue to pick the story up in verse 6. So he, the master who bought Joseph, left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It's a nice way of saying he's very attractive. Some people might say he's a hottie. Why are women laughing at that and not the men? I don't know. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It's interesting how at the very end, he doesn't say, I'm going to sin against my master, which he would have. He says, I'm going to sin against God. Do you get the transcendent view of life there? He's saying, I dishonor God by this. Whether I get away with it or get caught, I dishonor God. And as, he, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, she was persistent. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she called him by his garment saying, lie with me. Do I have to explain what that means? No? Okay, good. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. This lady does not like to have someone say no to her. 
In verse 16, then she laid up his garment by her, and so her master came home. You see this picture. She kind of squeals to the, to the servants and then sits there and waits for her husband to come home. And she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in prison. The power of accusation. We know it all too well, don't we? It's not about right and wrong. It's about who is believable. As followers of Jesus, we have to have integrity in our words. We have to be careful what we accuse people of. We have to be careful what we say about who and how we speak and what we listen to. And at times, integrity demands us to remain silent. And sometimes our integrity remains and calls us to speak. I go back to that verse in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, since I was kind of picking on the internet at work, let's talk about it in life. Let's relate this to Facebook or what some people call the book of face because you can really create any kind of image that you want there. Think about what you post. Think about what you tweet. Think about quoting some websites that agrees with you. And I can't tell you how many emails I get from people I really don't know quoting someone and something that is nothing more than a sham. Now, to use a phrase that's kind of just beaten to death today, we use it over and over again. A lot of emails and tweets are nothing more than fake news. Let me give an example. I get this quote at least five times a year, depending upon the situation. It's supposedly from Abraham Lincoln, and it keeps showing up in multiple settings to prove multiple things. Here's the quote. Maybe you heard it. I see in the near future a crisis approaching that unnerves me and causes me to tremble for the safety of my country. As a result of the war, corporations have been enthroned and in an era of corruption in high places will follow and the money power of the country will endeavor to prolong its reign until all wealth is aggravated in a few hands. Now you notice I didn't put Abraham Lincoln's name on that. You know why? Because he never said it. In fact, we don't know who said it. But people keep using this quote as it's factual. And you know, as believers, we need to be careful. We just don't pass on stuff that we like the way it sounds. We got to check the sources. Here's what I did find out this week. Why does this exist on the internet? Why do you think? It's called good old fashion greed. Paul Horner, who is a prolific Facebook fake news writer. I mean, that's what he's called. He does nothing but makes up stuff, puts it out there. And if he gets enough hits because of the advertisers, he makes money. He makes $10,000 a month doing this. 
He gets paid based upon who believes, who sends this news on. Doesn't matter whether it's true or not. I ran across another story, a group of Macedonian teens during the election, our election, made $5,000 a month on American gullibility, just posting stuff that wasn't true about the candidates. And of course, it goes viral. It gets shifted depending on which side you were on. Good old-fashioned greed. Here's a principle you need to take home with you. Integrity is born in the fire of injustice. We see that from the life of Joseph, and we're going to see it again and again and again. Joseph tells us that we are not defined by our circumstances. That integrity, being a follower of Christ, being someone who loves God with all his heart, his mind, his soul, and his spirit, Integrity demands that we integrate that into our lives regardless of where we find ourselves. Christ must always be at the center. And the perspective we carry with us is what Joseph had. The Lord was with him. And yes, we live in a fallen world. And yes, this is not all there is. And yes, sin, sin brings death. But death has many faces, doesn't it? And all are tragic. But for those in Christ, death doesn't win. So what does it look like in your home to have this perspective? The Lord was with him. What does it look like for that to be integrated into your home, to be integrated into GBC, our church, to be integrated into your failures? Anybody here fail this past week? We all should raise our hands, right? Amen. What about integrating Christ into our successes? What about our injustice that looks us in the face and laughs? Like Potiphar's wife to Joseph. She kind of said, you know what, Joseph, if you're not going to do what I want, you're going to pay. And he pays for doing the integral thing. For doing the right thing. What does this look like? This past week, it looks like when a policeman in South Carolina forgives and prays for a man who shot him. It looks like a school principal who back in 15 was shot by a student. He was sentenced this past week. He stands up in court and offers forgiveness and helps the student saying, listen, I'm going to visit you while you're incarcerated. It looks like a guy by the name of, anybody know who Alice Cooper is? <laughs> you know, you look at Alice Cooper and in his days, and he did some really strange stuff. He shared his memories of Glenn Campbell, who passed away this past week. And what you didn't know is they're best friends. And how they became best friends is because while they went through a successful career, their lives fell apart in drugs and women and a whole lot of stuff. But later on in their lives, they both found Jesus. And these two kind of country singer versus, I don't know what you call Alice Cooper, um, you know, rock and roll. I, I would label him something else. Christ brought them together. And if you didn't know, they both walked away from their careers because they couldn't handle it. And Alice Cooper now serves in a local church. Um, I think it's out in Arizona. Runs a ministry for teens in his local church. But him sharing memories 
of how Christ forgives and how Christ forgave him and Glenn and what God did transformed. See, that's what integrity looks like. All that happened this past week. I know for people who watch Fox News and CNN and some others, they didn't print any of those stories. They should. It's a whole lot more pleasant, isn't it, to find out how God is working through people instead of just all the negativity that we live with. Moses, in his final speech, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we're going to close with a song then. Giving his final speech, they're getting ready to go in the promised land for the second time. You know the story, the first time they said no, two said yes, ten said no. Israel whined about it, and so for 40 years they're wandering. And Moses can't go in, so Joshua's going to lead them. This is the setting. Here's what Moses says in Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. That's what it's like living with integrity in the midst of injustice. Will you pray with me? Father God, we appreciate so much Christ and what he means to us. Forgive us for the times that we forget that. We get caught up in our own sense of justice. Forgive us when we don't see that our job is to allow you to transform us in the midst of our injustice, that you'll take care of the other stuff in your own way, in your own time. I mean, everything that we live will come under your judgment, so we don't have to. So teach us, Lord. Teach us to not be afraid. Teach us to have strength. Teach us to see this world through a different set of eyes than our own and just the people around us. Teach us, Lord, what it means to really see this place in a transcendent view in all of life. And help us as we leave this place this morning, as we go home, as we go to work the next day, to be integrated with you and realize that we are citizens of this kingdom. What an incredible opportunity and privilege we have, Lord. We thank you for this. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen.